0: For more information about Christian Assembly, follow us on social media or visit our website at cafamily.net. This morning is Why Mary? Why Mary? In John's Gospel, Chapter 19, notice something here in verses 26 and 27. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples standing by whom he loved, He saith unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. Then saith he to the disciple, which we know to be John, Behold thy mother. And from that hour that disciple took her unto his own home. If you were about to die, what would you say? Who would you talk to? Jesus was just badly tortured and beaten. He's hanging on a cross. He looks down and sees his mother. What does he do? Unconcerned about himself, he speaks to her. He speaks to John and says, look, you've got to care for my mother for the rest of her life. i had this thought through my mind as I was meditating this. Supposedly, Jesus had six, at least six other siblings. Why didn't he say to her, you've got six other children to take care of you? You ever think about that? Why John? Well, I would say this. Number one, his siblings didn't believe on him. They thought he was a lunatic. James, I understand, went before him wherever he went to preach and all that and stirred up trouble. And the list goes on and on. But then also, once he died and rose again, she would be in the Jewish community And if she believed in him because of the resurrection, would she be ostracized? So he said, John, take care of mom. And from that time on, they were together. From what I see, she didn't live much longer after that, To about 50. I think she was about 50 years old when she departed from this life. But he was concerned about her. He cared for her. She's the one that reared him up provided for him, protected him, and so on and so forth, and he cared on his dying day. So much for her that he saw to it that she was provided for for the rest of her life. Before I continue, and I have to do this every year, there are so many scenarios that exist here, even in this church service today, among us, that make this kind of a message painful, emotionally painful for a lot of different people for a lot of different reasons. You've got women that never were able to have children, and many don't even come to a service like this because it's Mother's Day and it's painful. You've got those that have lost their mother to death, some to very difficult situations, some suicide, some abandonment, and the list goes on and on. I listed a bunch of different scenarios that exist there. I won't take time to get them all through all of them, But including when it comes to children whose parents, or whose mother, let's just say, they were abusive. And it's painful for them. Why would I want to go to church service and exalt a mother when my mother was abusive to me and damaging to my emotional state and well-being? And so it makes it very difficult to try to reach every person because of so many different scenarios. Well, even if you had, and I'm going to stress this, an abortion, I want you to know that you serve a forgiving God. You serve a redemptive God. You serve a God who cares so much about what you've gone through, what you're going through, and he wants restoration, reconciliation. He wants you to be free from the guilt of anything that's ever happened in your life. And so his arms are open wide. No matter what our scenario might be, he's there for each and every one of us each and every one of you now even when it comes to someone like Eve Eve experienced emotional pain when Cain killed Abel she's called the mother of all living but even as the mother of all living she experienced tremendous emotional pain we can learn a lot just from her life alone if you really think about it if you go back to the very beginning we discover this number one what does she teach us what does her life model for us Well, the number one thing I would say is be appreciative of your surroundings and the good that's in your life. You realize her position was perfect? She had a perfect environment, a perfect husband, a perfect relationship with God, perfect provision. She had everything that she could possibly hope to have in life. But guess what? She wasn't aware of it because she was distracted by something that she didn't have. And then... Don't doubt God. She doubted God. God had her best interest at heart, and she didn't even know it. And that's true for many today. Number three, we could say that she teaches us, focus on the Word. She didn't focus on the Word of God. She focused on the Word of an enemy. Focus on what God's Word says. And number four, we're not in control. We don't make up the rules. She wanted to make up her own rules for living. She wanted to step beyond the boundaries that God established for her life and just say, I know what's right and I know what's wrong. You know what's wrong with our society today? People don't know what God said. People don't honor what God said, what's right and what's wrong and what's true and what's not. So she teaches us that. And then material things don't fill us or fulfill us. They just don't. And finally, we can say she teaches us that God loves us. He's redemptive, and it doesn't matter what we've done or what we've gone through. He made provisions for all of us to be saved. So we learn a lesson even from her. Then we've got other ones that we could look to also. You know, we've got uh, Sarah, and Sarah, we know, teaches us that we need to be patient and allow the plan of God to unfold in our lives. She was told she's going to have a child, but at first she laughed about it. And then as time went on, she even brought Hagar into the situation because she was impatient with that coming to pass. But she teaches us, look, be patient and let God's plan unfold in our lives. And in the end, it's going to be a glorious thing. And then she finally had Isaac, and you know the story from there. Then we've got a woman by the name of Jochebed. Jochebed teaches us a lot of different things. She was a wise woman. She was a courageous woman. She was someone who saw beyond the natural world she wasn't afraid to step out and to do something in faith that was almost irrational if you think about it what did she do she took her little baby and put that baby in a basket that she made herself and put it on the Nile River when she knew the Pharaoh's daughter was going to come out and bathe put that baby in a dangerous situation believing for God's divine intervention because she believed in the value of a human life She's the mother of Moses. She's the mother of Miriam. She's the mother of Aaron. Think about that family and all that it did to impact the kingdom of God. But she, here she was. And in the process, what takes place, God intervenes in such a way so as to allow her to rear up her child for seven years of his life. And then after that, we don't have any record of what she's done. We wouldn't even know if she had the opportunity to see him as a great leader, as a lawgiver. is a great prophet of God because she's not mentioned after the first seven years of his life. But what does she she do? She steps out in faith. She's courageous. She's wise. She sought the Lord and she believed that God would intervene. So no matter what situation we may find ourselves in, we can look to God's word and know that if we trust him, his plan, his purposes for our lives, the outcome is going to be glorious. Then we come up to another individual by the name of Hannah. Hannah was a very godly woman. She was a a righteous woman. She was a prayerful woman, a woman of faith. And she teaches us the same thing. Don't give up. Never give up. Because if we look to God, it may take time, but don't give up. He'll bring it to pass. And you know her story. She gave birth to Samuel in her old age. He became a prophet of God. She teaches us to honor our vows that we vow before the Lord. And if you can only imagine this setting that she's in, that baby's born. And once that baby's born, although she made a vow to God that she would give him over to him to be used to advance his kingdom, she could have said no, but she didn't. Can you imagine her not wanting to give up that baby, but gave up that baby? Think about it, for the purposes of God. What courage that took for her to do that, but what integrity for her to follow through on her vow. Now we come to Mary. Look at Isaiah 7 and verse 14. Mary, the the woman that God would choose to bring her son into this world to redeem us from our fallen state. Wouldn't you say that would be a pretty good role model to follow, to pattern your life after, someone like Mary? Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive, and bear a son, and call his name Emmanuel. In the beginning in Genesis 3.15, we have a prophecy that states that a woman is going to bruise the head of the serpent. In Isaiah chapter 7, we see the woman is also once again going to be a virgin that's going to be born into the world. God with us is going to be manifested. But now... 700 years after that prophecy, we found out who the woman is, and the woman's name is Mary. God looks throughout history, and he sees this woman named Mary and says, you're the one that's going to bring my son into the world. There's some characteristics and qualities I see in you that I want manifested in the life of my son when he is born into the world. So of all the virgins that lived during that time, why did he choose Mary? I know that being a virgin was important. That means what? Being morally pure was important. So we know that she was morally pure. And if you think about it, just like any other young girl at her age, they were thinking, could I be the one that God would use to bring in the Messiah? Think about incentive for them to being a virgin. Because you see, if you're no longer a virgin then you can't be used of God to bring in the Messiah. That would be a pretty powerful motivation, wouldn't you think, to remain a virgin? Absolutely. Well, I believe that it was more than just being a virgin. There are many other qualifications that were necessary, but before we get into those and talk about her characteristics, let's talk about her background. Look in the book of John, chapter 1, verse 46. Here's what we discover. And Nathanael said to him, can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip saith unto him, Come and see. Mary was re- reared up in Nazareth. Nazareth was this, really a, a little town, at that time with 400 people, some say even up to 2,000, but all that I've looked up said, at the time of Jesus, at the time of Mary, about 400 people in this town. This town As he said, as you saw there in that verse, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? When people found out that I was a preacher here, some people said, can any good thing come out of Youngstown, Ohio? (laughs) Especially with the last name Anzavino, whose reputation would go before him in Youngstown, Ohio, little Chicago, big mafia. Anyhow. Why was that statement, you ever think about why was that statement made? Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Nazareth was Jewish by birthright, Roman by claim, and Greek by influence. But if you wanted to have any of the influence of the Greek culture, you, you couldn't do it there in Nazareth. You had to go to a bigger town way down the road somewhere. So here's this young girl, Mary, and she's in Nazareth in this lowly town, that the Jewish people, because of the Romans, considered to be unclean. They want nothing to do with this place. Can any good thing possibly come out of Nazareth? Second thing we found out is this. She is espoused to a man named Joseph. All right, she's engaged. Now, this is a big to-do in Mary's life. To her, like many other girls, this could be her pathway to success, a pathway to liberty a pathway to, in some cases, even survival. So this is huge. Now, remember, it's not like today. She's 14 or 15 years old at this time when she gets espoused, okay? So her life right now is about to take shape and form. You see, being engaged meant, this is going to be my life from this point out, and it's going to change forever. It's a place where I can actually become free and find freedom. Well, if we go over this betrothal period, which we'll do real quick again, I did it a couple of weeks ago, being espoused at that time is a picture of the rapture of the church. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I go to prepare a place for you. If I go to prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive myself that where I am, that where you may be also, is what Jesus said. So here's how it plays out. The groom and his father go to the, where the girl lives meet with the father and the brides-to-be, if she accepts. He offers the dowry, the bride price it's called. The father accepts it. They draw up the contract of marriage. He takes, the groom takes a cup of wine. He sips it. He hands a cup to possibly his bride-to-be. She looks at it. If she sips it, yes. Yes if she doesn't no. she doesn't accept to be engaged to him she takes it she drinks it he then says I will no longer drink of this cup of the vine until I'm with you in my father's house and unlike today they don't see each other for a year imagine it this is Mary now she's excited she just got engaged now the work begins he goes back to father's house. He builds a chamber in my father's house are many dwelling places, a chamber, a mansion. I'm sure she's thinking, and he's got a lot of work to do during this year. It could be up to a year. They don't see each other. she got to make her gown. She's got to make her bridesmaids gowns. And she's got to get to a place to where all this work that has to be done has to be done in order so that by the time this year is up, she's ready and waiting. As he is finishing his project, they're apart from each other, and now no one knows when he's going to come for the bride, except one. Only the father knows. And the father is the one that tells the son when it's time to go get his bride. And isn't it something that this takes place in the middle of the night, like a thief in the night, between the hours of 12 o'clock and 5 o'clock in the morning, and even though everything is ready on both ends, the father still hasn't told the son to go bring the bride back. Well, the bride has got to wear her gown, I can imagine this, to bed and be ready. The bride's maid got their gowns on, they're ready. They've got to have oil in their lamps to light the way because it's dark. So you can see her with great anticipation as this time comes and it's closer. She doesn't know when it's going to happen. But the bride must be ready for the bridegroom. Now we've got the groom and the groom is there in a the father's house and he's got his place ready. The chamber is ready. Everything is in place. But it's day after day, night after night, nothing. Finally, the day comes. The night comes. The father wakes up his son and says, son, it's time. Go get your bride and bring her home. He tears out of the place. He gets his entourage. He's got the shofar. He gets closer. He sounds the shofar. When he sounds the shofar, she hears it and she is awakened. She gets up. The oil's in her lamp. Everything's ready. Her gown is on. Her bridesmaids are ready. And now they all proceed into processional to go to father's house to be in that chamber for, listen to it, Seven days, one week, Daniel's 70th week. You see, it was the father telling Jesus, go get your bride and bring your bride back home. And he gets off the throne and he gets his shofar and he sounds the trumpet, the last trump of God. And the dead in Christ are rising and we that are alive are caught up and we go meet him in the father's house where we spend seven years of intimacy With our groom. For those of you that say mid trib, post trib, I'm sorry, we're gonna have a wonderful time with our Savior for seven years. I'm sorry. There's no other way to interpret it. You see, every Jewish person knows this, it depicted the rapture of the church. Now, why am I saying all this? Because I want you to see Mary's anticipation. I want you to see her enthusiasm. I want you to see her excitement. She is so excited that she's getting ready. I don't know how far into it, after the the engagement was signed, okay? And remember, once you sign that paper, it would be a divorce in order for them to be separated. They had to be divorced because they were technically, legally married, but they cannot be together and they cannot be intimate with each other. You see how God made that so easy? He put the distance between them. They couldn't be together whatsoever. So obviously there's no temptation there. So now she is so excited. Maybe a month gone by. Maybe two months have gone by. She's thrilled. She's busy. She's getting all this stuff together. Her girls are coming together. They're talking about it. I'm going to marry Joseph. I'm married to Joseph already, but we're going to be together. We're going to have a family and talking about all that. When all of a sudden, Gabe shows up. Look at Luke's gospel. <laughs> and in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God into a city. This is the sixth month of um, Elizabeth. Named Nazareth, to a virgin espoused or engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Now we know who she is. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. You could stop right there and just think, you're not Joseph. I didn't hear the shofar. What is this? And, and when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He shall be great, and shall be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come on thee and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived the son in her old age. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. And there's more that goes after that, but we'll stop right there. I want you to see the shift of emotions. I want you to see that she's in this great anticipation awaiting that day when her groom comes to take her away. But there she is now in the presence of Gabriel who came from the presence of God and he gives her this news. Wow. She's from the high of wedding planning to the possible low of Humiliation, shame, embarrassment, public stoning, possibly. Oh, my goodness. What a change of emotions this young girl is going through. She could be scorned, socially ostracized, and the list goes on and on. Well, what does she do? First of all, She displays an attitude like no other. I'm sure it took a moment for her to collect her thoughts, but she displays an attitude beyond anything we could possibly imagine of a young girl, remember, 14, 15 years of of age, and you just had that rug pulled out from beneath you. Let me ask you a question. Did we ever read about their final consummation of their marriage? Did they ever have a wedding ceremony? Was it ever completed? What a shift. What a change in this young girl's life. Number one, she was morally pure. We know that. But it took more than that to qualify her to do what she did to rear up the son of the living God. Look in the book of Luke chapter 1 verses 46 through 49. She was also number two, not just morally pure, but she was also humble and meek. Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has looked on the what did he look on? The humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations shall will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Notice a response. He looked upon me in my lowest state. It's one of humility. It's one of meekness. Humility is our thoughts and attitudes towards God. Meekness is our thoughts and attitudes towards people. She said, look at me in this state. She's from Nazareth, a lowly place, no significance whatsoever. The Jews called it a place that was unclean as far as they were concerned. And there's this young girl there. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Yes. Mary. Yes, Jesus of Nazareth. And now she responds by saying, the Lord has done great things. I'm a nobody. I'm a humble servant of the Lord. I've not done a whole lot, but you know what? I give him my life. I surrender my soul. I surrender my body. I surrender my will to the will of Almighty God. Look in the book of Isaiah 57 and verse 15. For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I will dwell in a high and holy place with him also that is a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. Think about it. Nazareth has been put on the map, just like Bethlehem has been put on the map. Why? Nazareth because of Mary, because of Jesus and her humble state. What's first Peter tell us in chapter five? about humility and meekness before God. Likewise, you younger, submit yourselves to the elder. Yea, all of you be subject to one another and be clothed with humility. God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. And that's exactly what she did. She was humble. She wasn't just pure, morally, morally pure. She was humble and meek. And then next, we see that she was God-fearing and courageous. Go back to Luke chapter 1, 50. And his mercy is for those who fear him. She was God-fearing. From generation to generation, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty with their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel In remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. This is a 14, 15-year-old girl quoting scripture, quoting the word of God in her what is called Magnificat. We can see how she was so well-rounded in the word of God, how she understood the word of God, how she took her walk with God seriously, and she knew these principles. So once again, it was an eye opener to her, I'm sure, realizing that here I am, a spouse, but now all of a sudden this angel appears to me, I'm going to give birth to the Messiah. Wow. She's humble about it. She's meek about it. Now she's courageous about it. Why do I say that? Because her pregnancy, you talk about scorn, you talk about Courage to go and stand before Joseph. Can you imagine how that conversation started? Um, how did she get word to him? She probably had to break the, if she did it herself, she wasn't allowed to see him for a year. The year wasn't up. Did she find him and say, We got to talk? See, there were two ways to break it off. Number one, you could take her away privately. And divorce her or you can expose her publicly and stone her to death what did he choose to do put her away privately divorce her in other words privately to spare her life and that's what he's gonna do but he goes to bed one night and he has a dream and in that dream he is told Joseph don't be afraid to take her as your wife She hasn't been unfaithful to you. You see, the child in her womb is the son of the living God. And Joseph was a righteous man. And Joseph understood scripture. Joseph now is in a place where himself, remember, he's excited about what's going on too. Forget this father's house. I'm looking to that father's house. Okay, he's on board. And so together, they go through the pregnancy until she finally gives birth to the son of God but she was courageous to stand before Joseph courageous to stand before her family courageous to stay there in a city of only 40 or 400 people and then take upon herself the shame the embarrassment the humiliation of oh, all yeah right Mary over there she said god did that to her what she thinks god made her pregnant what no she she does telling everybody and guess what Joseph he thinks it too are you serious yeah isn't it something how blinded we could possibly be because you look for something for so many 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 years and now it shows up and guess what who believes it the angel came and told her but nobody believes her that was her position at that time I'm going to throw one thing in here. I may bring this up, I don't know, at some point. But, you know, we've been told Bible prophecy is important to all of us. True? Bible prophecy is indeed important to us. You realize that we're living on May the 14th. is going to be, what, 74 years of Israel becoming a nation? The anniversary thereof. But I just watched a video talking about how on that day, May 14th, these individuals are already, while others are celebrating with hot dogs and hamburgers, They're chiseling away at the stones that will be used for the building of the third temple. You can go online. You can see it. I may show it. They're chiseling away. The foundation stones are already in place. They're already practicing temple worship. They're practicing animal sacrifices. They're being taught. They have all the garb. They have all the menorah. they got everything in place for the coming of the Lord, the rapture of the church. And that blowing of the trumpet, the sound is louder and louder and louder and louder. You can see this. That is it's coming. We can see the society that we're living in. We can see that they're calling good evil and evil good. We can see everything around us falling apart. Is that not true? Yeah. Right. And just as then they didn't understand it, they didn't see it, the same thing is true today. Where is the, the promise of it's coming? It's been years and years and years and years. And where is the promise of it's coming? When is it going to come? When is it going to come? When is it going to come? It might be right in front of our noses. So in other words, what am I saying? At least open up our eyes to see it. He's coming in the fall feast, so it could be this fall feast. I don't believe that's going to happen this fall feast, but it could be the following one, the next one, the next one. Within the next few years, what does that tell us? Have yourself ready like the bride had herself ready. Go to sleep. Clothe yourself with the righteousness of God. See to it that you are dressed and ready for the shout of the Lord to come to take us, the bride. See, people got hung up on this. How could the bride be the church? Because he's the groom and he's a man, right? And so the church is a man. The church, we talk about the church as being, uh, you know, masculine. But you see, when you see it played out like this, then you understand, oh, we are the church, we are the bride of Christ that he's coming for. Now, we don't comprise the whole bride of Christ because the new Jerusalem coming from heaven is the bride of Christ also, but... You ready for this? What are the bride is coming for? You think he wants to wait those three and a half years while we go through tribulation? He's coming to take us out of here because the wrath of God is not, not for us. Now, we see that Mary is courageous. We see that she is God-fearing. Look at Joshua chapter 1, and cur- courage is not created overnight. It is not created overnight. Courage takes time to develop. This is Joshua and all that he's been through with Moses and everybody else, a courageous leader. But look what God says to him. Only be thou strong and very courageous that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. Look at the next one, verse nine, or verse eight, nine. Have not I commanded thee, be strong and of a good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. He keeps reiterating to Joshua, you've got a task at hand. You've got a future in front of you. You've got a lot of work to do for me and for the kingdom. So I'm telling you, be strong and courageous. Be strong. Beloved, it takes strength to live in our society today. Believers are being just just absolutely overwhelmed now with all kind of criticism and everything else. Why? Because the world around us wants what the world around us wants. The world around us doesn't think that God has our best interests at heart and doesn't think that his ways are the right ways. His truth is the right truth. And so we see it falling apart all around us. And it's time that God is separating the wheat from the chaff, the light from the darkness. And guess what? We have to emerge strong and courageous and be people of God that will take a stand and say, this is what God says is true. We're living by the laws of God, the commandments of God, the righteousness of God, the holiness of God. We are following God no matter what. That's how God wants us to be. And this young girl at that young age was that strong and that courageous, so much so, it took her out of that state of mind where I'm engaged. It's a wonderful life. I can't wait to, to be with my, my husband and all that To it doesn't matter to me if he divorces me. It doesn't matter to me if he wants to have me publicly stoned. It doesn't matter to me if my family rejects me. It doesn't matter to me if, if community rejects me. I am serving the Lord my God, and he could have me spirit, soul, and body. And she says, Beat unto me, O Lord, according unto your word. What do we learn from Mary? We learned she was not just strong and courageous. She was a woman of faith and a woman of the word. Look in Luke's gospel, chapter one, verse 38, her response to the angel Gabriel. And Mary said, behold, the handmaid of the Lord, the servant of most high beat unto me, not according to biological laws, not according to reason, not according to anything, but according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. In other words, he gave his message. She received the message. It's all set in place. And as far as she's concerned, she is the willing servant of the Most High God. She was a woman of the word. She was a woman of faith. And just to show you the importance and power of this, look at Luke 1. And this is Zacharias, who is a priest. He is there day in and day out, ministering in the house of the Lord, in the temple, right? He wants, they want to have a child as well. He and his wife, Elizabeth. For the angel said unto him, fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard. And thy wife, Elizabeth, shall bear thee a son. And thou shalt call his name John, John the Baptist. Right? And he was excited and enthusiastic about that, right? Uh, no. Let's read on. Look at verses 18 through 20. Zechariah said to the angel, Whereby shall I know this? I'm an old man. My wife is well stricken in years. He, he, he should have said seasoned. And the angel answering said unto him, Are you ready for this? For Mary he departed, right? He said, I am Gabriel that stand in the presence of God and am sent to speak unto thee and to show thee these glad tidings. And behold, you shall be struck dumb, not able to speak until that day that these things shall be performed. Why? Because you didn't believe. You believe not my words, which shall be fulfilled in their season. Wow. Wow. He's the priest. This is a 14-year-old girl. You're going to be impregnated by the Holy Ghost. He can't believe his wife's going to have a child that they prayed for. We've heard your prayers. Oh, that can't be. I'm too old. She's too seasoned. Right? What does she say? What does Mary say? You know what God wants to hear from us today? Be it unto me according to your word behold I'm your servant your handmaid I'm your servant I am here for you I surrender my heart my life my will to you look at first Timothy chapter I'm sorry look at John chapter 2 and verse 5 what do we learn from Mary one of the best truths you could ever learn his mother saith unto the servants when they were out of wine whatsoever he saith unto you what are those next two words What are they? Say it louder. You think Nike coined that that expression? (laughs) Do you think so? No, Mary did. Just do it. Just do it. Just do it. Once we know God said it, what's left to do is what? Just do it. Boy, if we could take that, you could take it to the bank. If he said to do it, then do it. And guess what? He'll honor it. Amen. So we learn from her. She's a woman of faith. And then also she's teachable and obedient. Look in Luke's gospel, chapter one, verses 34 and 35. Then Mary said unto the angel, how shall this be seeing? I know not a man. How? In other words, I'm inquisitive. I'm teachable. I want to know how will this thing take place? I don't know a man. This is a legitimate question when you are a virgin and you're told you're going to have a baby. You understand the angel Gabriel was not upset with her for asking that question. It was a teachable. She's teachable. I want to know the answer. He said, under her, the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee. The power of the high shall overshadow thee. And that child that's going to be born of you is going to be called the son of God. Can you imagine the overwhelming feeling and emotions that would come upon this young girl to think, wow, okay, I'm in, I'm in. She was teachable, humble, courageous, God-fearing, A servant of the Most High God, willing to step out and do even the unreasonable and illogical, and to give up, ready for this? Her whole life's plan. And it was no picnic after she gave it up. She had to flee to Egypt. You know the story. Look at 1 Peter, I'm I'm sorry, 1 Timothy, chapter 2, and verse 4. God wills all men to be saved. Everybody say, and. And what? to come to the knowledge of the truth. How? How? She was teachable. uh, She was obedient. She was willing to learn more. And she sacrificed her all to fulfill the purpose of God and the plan of God. Remember, she had to flee from Herod, go into Egypt, and there's much about that. But in conclusion about Mary, not only was was she morally pure and humble and meek. God-fearing and courageous, a woman of the word and faith, was she also obedient and filled, she was also filled with the Holy Ghost and power. In Acts chapter 1, verse 14, what we see is this. This is the last recording I think we have of Mary in the Bible. This is after the resurrection. Imagine the stir that's taking place. What's going on? People realizing that there are people, think about it, going into the city of Jerusalem when Jesus came out of the grave, and they're appearing to many there in the city, they're talking about him being the Messiah. Mary's probably uh, with all the other ones together in this upper room because, you know, it's probably not safe out there for them. And here we see, these all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. There she is in the upper room. Put yourself there. She could have been in Joseph's chamber getting ready to have kids. But no, she's hidden in an upper room somewhere, not knowing a whole lot about her future. But there she is because he's resurrected from the dead. She can't go back to the community. They're going to ostracize her, put her life in danger because she's siding up with the resurrected Christ. But now look at Acts chapter 2, the first few verses, and what do we see here about Mary? Mary. Yes, she's morally pure, she's courageous, she's God-fearing, she is humble, she's a servant, she's teachable, she's obedient. And now, when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. It filled all the house where they were sitting. There appeared cloven tongues like as a fire that sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and spake with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Mary, the mother of Jesus, was in that crowd. Mary, the mother of Jesus, was a Pentecostal. Mary, the mother of Jesus, received the baptism of the Holy Ghost and fire. And from that point on, we don't really have any news about her life. But you know what? This woman stands out as the one that God chose to be the one to bring the Messiah into the world. And her life speaks volumes to every woman and every mother. Because you see, go back to Eve, she failed. Go to Mary, she did not. Eve wanted what? Herself to be promoted, to rule her own life, to do it her way, to come up with her own rules and laws, right? I want to look beyond God's ways because, you see, maybe God is missing something here. Look to that tree over there and focus on something like that. But what does Mary say? With all that was in front of her, she shoved it aside, looked to heaven and said, it doesn't matter how illogical or how unreasonable this might be. Behold the handmaid of the Lord. Be it unto me according to your word for every woman, echo the same sentiment. Lord, behold, I'm yours. Be it unto me according to your word. In my life, my behavior, my conduct, my character, my future, my plans, I want yours, not mine. Be it unto me according to your word. Fill me with Holy Ghost and fire. Let's take a moment, stand before the Lord.